We are faithful. We are here. Despite the fact that Dan Rayfield has been traveling all day from Las Vegas after Canelo Alvarez's decision win over Gennady Golovkin to retain the super middleweight undisputed world championship. Despite the fact that I have been in the Big Easy, Dan Rayfield, where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have beaten the New Orleans Saints on Sunday. We both had the friendly skies be good to us because we were able to get back to our respective homes. And here we are as part of the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast coming off of the weekend. Glad that you guys have found us. Glad that I'm getting to see Dan as well as get to talk to him off of uh, off the fight card this weekend. You have survived. Uh, we have seen Canelo retain. We've got a lot to get into. Are you ready to do that here for the peeps as we come off the weekend? I am, and I will say because last time you, we did this, and I was on my way out, wait, on my way out to Las Vegas, arriving on Wednesday, and you were like uh, making assumptions that the skies were friendly. <laughs> you did that again today, but today I got to say the skies were friendly. They you weren't. Know good. Why the skies were friendly? Uh, you you have got to be kidding me! I saw your social media <laughs> post. Just tell the people. So you had a problem last Wednesday, <laughs> and your problem of last Wednesday. First world problems, first class problems on the airline. They were the same exact problem again on Sunday afternoon coming back to the greater no, Sierra. They were good this time. So to recap, you you I, you said my skies were friendly on Wednesday, and I kind of went off because, it, no, wow. I said fuck the friendly skies because they weren't friendly because I had turbulence. I had an incontinent woman next to me that got up about 10 times to take a leak or do whatever she was doing. And then I had a lap child with the dad and a mother with the other kid that was a toddler who were not like crying and upset, but spent the entire flight screeching one row ahead of me, losing their minds, scraping on toys, running around and just blat and just making all kinds of chaos. I was pissed off by the other people around me were pissed off. The flight attendant was giving them the evil eye. So it was a very, uh, it was a shitty flight. And, you know, all that to combine, one of those alone would be bad. But you put all the three together and other than we did crash, it was a bad flight. <laughs> Coming back. And we were, but the good, and I said to you, the good thing was we were a half an hour early when we landed in Vegas. Now I feel like I'm like, it's the complete opposite on the trial. I, I don't even give a shit if people don't want to hear about the travel because I'm right. going to tell it. And if they don't want to hear still, it. This is a story, folks. Stay, stay okay. with it. Go. So now coming back, it was like the opposite. I sat next to another young woman who was on the window. I was on the aisle. We were, we, we were late getting back. I got that half hour early coming back. Thou giveth, thou taketh away. We were half an hour, 40 minutes landing. So we were out. There was winds and all that stuff going on in Vegas. Uh, which is not an unusual thing. So we sat out there after we taxied for like literally like about an hour before we actually oh. took the bus. Oh. So between the hour of sitting on, it wasn't that bad. You know, we're just hanging out. But the point is the hour sitting plus the four hour uh, in change flight back to Washington, that woman, she didn't get up once to take a piss. All not right, one so time. That, so that balanced so, out. That, but, we're off to a good start, right? But, but. Hold on. Then. No turbulence other than a couple of bumps going out, no biggie. So that was a very smooth trip. I can't complain. And amazingly, I look up and much to my shock and horror at the beginning, <laughs> the family with the two toddlers, the mother and the father who spent the entire trip going out to Vegas, completely oblivious to their children's woeful behavior, not doing anything to even try to remotely get them to stop and uh, shut the heck up. There they were sitting two rows in front of me this time. Is it one row in front of me this time? But I have to say, TJ, like I said, as bad as it was going out, the kids were perfect angels the entire time, even on the ground stop when we were waiting to take off for all that time. So good. it was the opposite. 
incontinent woman, turbulence <laughs> early, and, and a ill-behaved children going out, no turbulence, woman who didn't get up once to take a leak, we were late, and the kids were perfectly fine. It's like the perfect mirror of my trip. So just so that I'm clear, you did not know until you were already on the plane and in your seat. Here is the family with the kids and the chaos uh, from the previous flight last Wednesday. You didn't know that until they got on the plane. I was I had had boarded before them. I was sitting in my seat. (laughs) Five minutes later, they get on and they take their seats. I look up from my phone. And I'm like, I can't believe you got to be kidding. the same kids. Right, right. I mean, and I'm like, we're in for we're in for a rough ride. But you don't but have it, anything. You know, and so we're clear. You don't have anything against kids because you've got your son. I've got my twin daughters. So that in and of itself is not the issue. No, your my, issue my is if was, you're it has on nothing a, to do with it. Yeah. Nothing against kids. It was about and I've been there. And if anybody that's been a parent to travel with children, whether it's on an airplane or a train in the car or whatever, if they lose their shit, you got to try to control them and try to keep them under control. And anybody that'd be with you would sort of feel your pain. What was the irritating part was that the parents were utterly oblivious as though their children hadn't made a sound or done anything (laughs) and did absolutely nothing to try to control the situation. That was the irritating part. If they were trying and it happens, you feel sorry for them. You kind of like understand you rally around them. But no. Anyway, bottom line was they were angels on the way back. And you got home safely. And again, I have been in New Orleans. I was inside the Superdome, and I got to confess here, even as we're doing the show right now, my ears are still ringing from being in the Superdome and how loud uh, it was. And this frequently does happen in the Dome games. I don't know if I'm becoming crotchety old man here, Rayfield, if that's the case. (laughs) We're doing this podcast again Sunday night late. We're, We're here for you, peeps. However you found us, we're coming off the weekend. They got to hear the travel, though. And so, hear and, the so look, and so in my case, I'm on a chartered airplane. We're back to the 2019 protocols of being allowed on the team charter. We haven't been able to do this for the last three years because of the COVID restrictions, et cetera. So that was good. We got out of there. We got back. We got here. And now I think you and I have, have done enough going back and forth about the air travel because ultimately the peeps that are tuning in are wanting to hear our thoughts on the weekend, mainly your thoughts on the weekend and Canelo's win. So you were there, you were ringside, you've written about it, obviously, on our site, bigfightweekend.com and your substack, the Fight Freaks Unite uh, substack that you have. Uh, again, we encourage everybody to uh, to find both of those outlets. We encourage them to find us here on the podcast feed, on the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed, and follow and subscribe, and you get the podcast. Um, all right, so you were there. You get a ding, you get a bell, you get a vibration, get a vibration, whatever. We got a new one and we are here. We are here posting on the weekend. And as soon as this podcast was out Sunday night, early Monday morning, you got a notification if you're following or subscribing. So that's good. All right. So you were there ringside T-Mobile arena on the Vegas strip and saw Canelo Alvarez get it done. What are your thoughts? I know you've written about it, but what are your thoughts here for those that maybe haven't read you in depth on what you saw as Canelo got the win? A a closer announced decision than what I think a lot of people believed it should have been, but what are your thoughts? You were there. Well, I have a few thoughts about the fight, obviously. I mean, number one, uh, I'm glad the fight happened. You know, I I was never a person that was losing their mind when they were saying that, you know, that that it has to happen. They got to fight a third time. Uh, you know, Golovkin's begging for the fight. Canelo's doing other things. Like I never was like hum- hung up on that. They have to like so-called settle the score. I would have been perfectly fine if they never fought a third time. But that didn't mean I wasn't interested if they made the fight. I just wasn't going to lose my mind if they were not going to make the fight. So I'm happy that the fight was made. For history's sake, it was important for this fight to happen. Uh, these two fighters will be linked together for the rest of their careers. Uh, they will definitely go down 
as their most storied rivals. You know, there's no other fighter in, in Gennady's career uh, on the level or of the name recognition of a Canelo Alvarez that other people are, you know, that make a famous trilogy. And in terms of Canelo, even though he's got some years left, I'm sure uh, it's going to be, he's going to be hard pressed to find that type of uh, competition uh, in those types of fights, you know, when he's in his prime to uh, that he'll be, you know, so he'll be linked with Gennady for forever in terms of boxing history. So I'm glad the trilogy happened. The disappointing part was that, um, as we've talked about many times, a lot of times there have been trilogies in boxing where there's usually one fight that's kind of a dud. Obviously, it's usually not the first fight because that's what leads to the rematch. Oftentimes, it's the rematch that's the dud. And we can go down the list of that type of situation. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the third fight oftentimes has turned out to be you know, another excellent fight. Uh, unfortunately, in the case of the Triple G and Canelo rivalry, uh, first two fights were fantastic. They you know fight of the year caliber type of fights. Um, and this third fight was just not a good fight overall. It was, it was, it was a kind of a disjointed, kind of boring, messy, no drama type of fight. Um, no, nobody near a knockdown either way. Uh, you know, no, no crazy things happened in the fight. There was no uh, sustained action. There was nice periods of action here and there. So it wasn't like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it was like the worst fight I ever saw by any means. I mean, it was an okay fight, but if you were, if this was just unknown people and you were just watching them in a preliminary, you'd get up and probably go get, you know, get, <laughs> get a you know bag of popcorn or go take a leak or whatever. Uh, so it was, that's a disappointment. You know, people pay a lot of money for tickets. They pay a lot of money for uh, pay-per-view. I mean, but you know, you, the guys, it's not like they didn't try. I'm not, I'm not saying they weren't in there trying to win the fight or, and do their best. So this is not in any way like a, a knock on the two uh, boxers that were in there. Uh, sometimes just fights develop the way they develop. You know, it's uh, you know, it's a, a, one particular hour in one particular day in one particular month over the course of all these years. And they just were not both up to their, uh, their best, I guess, at that time. Canelo disclosed after the fight, after he had won the fight, that he had a problem with his left hand, uh, his wrist really, going into the fight, that he's going to need some kind of minor uh, uh, surgery on. In fact, his doctor was there at the post-fight press conference to explain that he had sort of like a, a minor tear of the sheath around his wrist, and it was giving him problems. And Canelo said, I can't even hold the glass. Yes. So credit him for at least going through with the fight and, and giving his best. I mean, he had still you, won the can fight. I stop you, can I stop you right there? Had you heard any inkling about that at all, or was that a surprise to you like it was to, I think, everybody that was just listening to him talk about that? I mean, you're as plugged in as anybody. Had you heard anything about that in hindsight no, here? No, I hadn't heard I'll be honest, wow. I hadn't heard a thing about that. I mean, you know, there's yep. always, you know, there's always stuff that goes on in a training camp that you're not privy to. And, uh, you know, guys, rarely do they come into a fight 100 exactly percent, you know, right. so that doesn't totally shock me. But if it was that bad, you know, guys might pull out of the fight. But, you know, Kip, for you know, his reasons, he didn't want to. I'm sure not the least of which is the uh, a payday that was probably in the realm of like, you know, 50 million dollars, mm -hmm. you know, uh, last night, uh, Saturday night. And, uh, you know, those two guys between the two of them on that night, you know, they made around 70 something million dollars, probably at least. So, you know, I, I don't plan them for going through with it. I mean, they didn't give us a 70 million dollar fight, unfortunately, but that's you know, they still got on there and, did, and they did the business as best as they could. Uh, so a couple other thoughts about it, though. So not a great fight. Uh, Canelo clearly is the winner. The prevailing sport ringside. Now, the way that they set the, the arena up with the media, there was one row of about, I would say, 15, 16 media right there at ringside. Normally, it's larger because they're selling the tickets and they're highly expensive. The rest of the media, unfortunately, was on risers in the back of the arena, which I have been in those risers at times mm -hmm. when they've had no media up front. And that's not a good view to see. But my view was right in the middle of the freaking ring, at ringside, as good as you get, unless you're, you know, a judge, basically, sitting on the stool. And so after the fight, everybody's like, how'd you have it? How'd you have it? How'd you have it? And there was one journalist that had uh, Canelo winning 12 to nothing that I could find. Mm -hmm. There was one that had him winning eight to four. 
And everybody else that we asked had the margin. And so you, it's kind of like you throw out the low score, you throw out the high score. So if you throw out the 12 nothing, you throw out the 8-4, basically everything else was in, this, was in the margin, which I and everybody else seemed to think was an acceptable score, which was anywhere from 11 rounds to one in favor of Triple G. Clearly he won the ninth round. Maybe you could give him the 10th round. And maybe there's one other round in there, you know, for whatever shits and giggles, or maybe they just do anything in the first round you gave them the first round, whatever. The point is the acceptable scores, it seemed to most of us, were anywhere from uh, 11 rounds to one in favor of Canelo to nine rounds to three in favor of Canelo. There was no point deductions. There was no knockdown. So there's no wacky things to alter your straightforward scoring. And to watch this panel of judges who are highly respected, I, they're not, I don't believe they're corrupted. I, mm -hmm. I don't know them well, but I have met all three of them on a number of occasions. I have had numerous uh, interactions with uh, with some of them over the years, Steve Weisfeld uh, and Dave Moretti over the years. I mean, they're good guys and they know their shit and they're good judges 99% of the time. They were shitty yeah. on Saturday night. Dave Moretti is getting covered because the other two judges were worse. He had an eight to four. If you bent over backwards to find every conceivable edge, because I went back, by the way, I watched the fight again on the zone in my room when the fight, you know, when I was back and I was still wide awake, I went back and I watched it cause I had bought the pay-per-view. Right. And, uh, and, uh, you know, if you bent over backwards and gave every conceivable possible round, every which way you might be able to get eight to four in favor of Golovkin. So I won't even rip on ready that bad, but he is getting cover. And the reason he's getting cover is because uh, Sutherland and Weisfeld. And again, I'm not, this is not an impingement on those men. They're good guys. They're knowledgeable people. They, they work hard. They're not corrupted. I don't buy any of that. Their score sucked. Seven rounds to five is not an acceptable score for that fight. And it's not like I'm in the minority and I'm like no, one guy whistling the wind. Because you that had is it every what? single. You had it 11 1 or 10 2. I had it 11 rounds to one. You, but again, I could see, I can, I have no, I, I might have given Gennady the 10th round, but I didn't. But you could. I didn't have a problem with that. Uh, I thought nine is, three. I, I just I could not fathom that's fine. how two judges thought he won five rounds of that fight. So it begs this question: You were in the arena. Do you think that some of the ooing and eyeing in the crowd in the arena for whatever Golovkin was doing might have influenced him? No, because, uh, because it was a Canelo two crowd. of them thought that. Go ahead. It was a Canelo crowd, first of all. So I don't yep. I don't think that. Yeah. I actually I I I I just don't understand it. It's like they were, and again, I, I don't. I'm not trying to say there there was any funny business, but it's the when you see that, it makes you think like they're trying to do anything they can to get it to a draw to make a fourth fight. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm it not saying that's what suspicion. they were doing. I understand. I'm it not. Arouses. Yeah, it's just that you can't help but look at it like that. And so I just thank God that Canelo won clean. Listen, here's the, all you got to know. Even Gennady Golovkin, you could just tell by his expression, by his body language. Yes. He knows he didn't win seven round, uh, five rounds of that fight. I asked him at the post-fight press conference, and it's on YouTube, on uh, I believe on the, the Zone channel and also mm -hmm. the Matchroom channel. They, they have the full video of uh, about a 25-minute uh, press conference that Canelo had, and then they also had the same uh, thing when, uh, when, when Gennady did his. They were separated. Gennady came out first and did about 20, 25 minutes, and then Canelo didn't come out for probably, I mean, I don't know exactly what it was. It was maybe close to an hour. Part of it was because I think he had a, it took him extra time to make his urine sample to provide the drug testing uh, folks the, the sample. And also because he had five or six stitches up above his eye because of a, a cut that he suffered. So it took a little extra time for him to come out to the press conference. Uh, but I asked Gennady in his press conference, I said, you know, 
you had two fights, however you scored them, whether you, you know, everybody basically has viewed them as controversial, whichever person you thought won or if it was a draw. But tonight, it seems as though it's a clear cut, no controversy that everybody's in agreement, however you scored it, that Canelo was the rightful winner. So, Gennady, do you think, or do you, are you of the belief that you were, uh, that Canelo was the rightful winner and you were the rightful loser? And he wouldn't answer the question in a straightforward manner. And he kind of gave a talking point. And I said, well, and I, I did say this with a smile. I wasn't trying to be a jerk. Uh, and, and Gennady knows me, so it wasn't like he was mad at me about it. I said, well, you didn't really answer the question, but okay. So the point is, he knows. You don't, you don't need to like look deep into this person's eyes. He knows it wasn't a close fight in his heart. He knows it. He was in the, he was in the, in the fight. So the boxer knows. Canelo sure as hell knows and everybody mm -hmm. else watching the fight knows I mean we all can't agree on anything most of the time I've never seen a more universal uh, right. agreement over a fight where the Canelo dominated the fight the, the zone people had it wide uh, as, as I come to find out watching the or actually Chris Mannix when the broadcast was over yes. came over to us at ringside and said that asked us how we had it so that's what bothers me when everybody watching the fight in the Twitter, in the Twitter sphere everybody seemingly in the arena all of the, the ringside media uh, even even the boxer that lost knows it was a loss, and you got two judges that make it seven rounds to five. It is not possible. Okay, uh, a couple more on this, and we'll move on to the other parts of the card here. I love Dan bringing the heat here. He's still uh, he's still uh, on his toes figuratively here, and good after all of this. I'm going to keep you rolling uh, about this. So uh, you mentioned Mannix's scorecard. I, I'm watching the fight in New Orleans with some of the people from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers travel party. And by the way, a shout out, because I know you went to the media dinner with our friends at PPV.com because they sponsor uh, not only this podcast, but us on Big Fight Weekend, also your Fight Freak Substack. Uh, they're doing a great job of promoting all across the boxing landscape of, of the, uh, the internet and the podcast world. So through PPV.com, we were able to see the fight. So thank you to those folks. You went to the dinner uh, there the other night. But I, I was watching with several other people, and the belief of all of us was Golovkin has just hit the wall at 40. He is not the same fighter, couldn't get off, not able to, not quick enough. And Canelo was in complete command. And there's no other way that you can really look at that. For 95% for of the fight, Canelo's in complete command. Uh, all of us thought just watching it. So there's, there's I mean, my you're, thought you're, that in. Go ahead. Yeah. No, you and the people you watch with are exactly correct. Canelo could not get off. I mean, when he did get off, he was still dangerous because he does still have punching power. I don't think the weight difference was a big deal. His body looked okay. I mean, he seemed uh, enthusiastic. You know, he didn't, you know, to his credit, I don't know if there was or there wasn't. He didn't talk about any kind of injuries or make excuses about anything. He, you know, he just uh, said the judges scored the fight the way they scored it. You know, didn't make a big deal. Didn't claim it was controversial like he did after the first couple of fights. Did it surprise you when Canelo had a big, like, sixth round? He he rocked him a couple times, didn't hurt him significantly, and then all of a sudden the welts kind of appeared on the head, the red marks. I'm like, okay, he's going to stomp on the accelerator. And I'm not just saying this because I had the knockout prediction on our Bet U.S. boxing show, but I really thought he's got the whole second half of the fight to stomp on the accelerator and get the stoppage. Did it surprise you that he maybe didn't go harder for the knockout? Now we know about the left-hand injury. Did it surprise you, though, that he didn't go stronger with punch volume, et cetera, and try to end it? It's easy well, to say now after the fact, but what are your thoughts? First of all, I think the left hand absolutely had something to do with it. That's the first and foremost. I mean, I'm not, you know, people will say, well, it's an excuse. Well, it's not really an excuse, but it's just a fact. It's kind of like, you know, when when Lomachenko had shoulder surgery mm -hmm. after he lost to Tifima Lopez, it's not an excuse. He actually had the surgery. Um, 
And, you know, uh, Canelo wasn't complaining about the injury. He was just stating this is what happened. And I was having a difficult time with my left hand. Um, so I know it didn't shock me because, first of all, you know, sometimes guys are just not getting knocked out. They're just they're going to go the route. And Gennady Golovkin, whatever you want to say about him, he's got one of the greatest chins in boxing history. You had all those amateur hundreds of fights, all these professional fights. And still, once again, he's fought yet another big time puncher. Uh, for the third time in Canelo Alvarez, and he was never so much as, uh, you know, off. I mean, there was one time uh, uh, early in that fight where I swear to God, Canelo landed like the bomb of a right hand, yes. right on the button. And I'm like, I, it was like a quick moment of silence. And you're like, was it, and he just walked right through it. Like it didn't even affect him at all. Like, so the fact that he didn't knock him out uh, did not surprise me. I mean, I look to, to tout the bet US show, uh, other than not getting the Bam Rodriguez, I got the Bam Rodriguez on the win, but not the knockout. You know, I swept the board on my over under yes, my picks, and and my pick was Canelo by the over and the and the knock and the decision. And, and so, in no way, shape, or form did it surprise me. I had so many people during the course of the week who I talked to. You know, how do you how do you who do you like? And that's always the conversation with the the folks you see at the fights, whether it's the promotion folks or the the PR teams or the other other reporters. Uh, so many people were kept talking about, oh, he's going to stop him. He's going to roll through him. He's old. He's going to hit him with a body shot. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I, I don't know what Golovkin you're talking about. I've never seen the guy, you know, waver other than, yep. you know, somebody reminded me the one I didn't think about was there might have been a moment with a body punch in the, uh, in the Devrinchenko fight where he might have been a little, you know, uh, hurt for a quick second. But again, the fact that it went distance did not surprise me whatsoever. Uh, you know, Canelo, I just didn't think he looked great, partly because of the hand, apparently. But, you know, you're not going to be, uh, at, at your absolute peak and best. I mean, we've grown accustomed to him looking so devastating. Uh, when we watch fights against Callum Smith, where he cruises to a shutout against a cop quality fighter, or he breaks apart the face of Billy Joe Saunders and stops him in, you know, devastating fashion, you know, in terms of making him just quit on the stool because his face is all messed up. Um, similar where he, he's winning handily against Caleb Plant and then just beats him down there in round 11 and scores some knockdowns and then stops him. Uh, you know, that's the canal people get used to. So now these team come back and he has a struggle against Bebo, a fight where he lost. But, you know, people in retrospect are making it like he got blown out. It was a competitive fight. That was like a true eight four kind of fight. You know, maybe if you bend over backwards, you could find a seven five for Canelo. I don't necessarily agree with that. But the point is uh, against Golovkin, he didn't look very good, but he still won, in my estimation, 10 rounds uh, or 11. I take it back 11 rounds of the fight. So uh, it wasn't a great performance, but it certainly was a clear win. And, you know, he's still the super middleweight undisputed champion of the world. Then Gennady, uh, which was a big talking about, are you going to retire if you lose? He made the point multiple times ahead of the fight, and he said it again at the press conference. Remember, guys, I still have belts at 160 pounds. He's still uh, the unified champion in that weight class, and he will go back to 160 pounds and defend that title. Along those exact same lines, pick it up. Best guess. Give me a quick answer. Best guess. Golovkin fights whom next? Give me just educated speculation. What's your best guess well, on what he would do at middleweight? I mean, Gennady, the belts are important to him, so it's hard to see him giving up a title. Uh, and in the coming days, well, it's not the coming days. He knew going into this fight, uh, and I, I can't remember if it was two weeks or 10 days or whatever, but he has to notify the WBA his intentions. They have ordered, uh, or, or will formally order, his mandatory, which is against the regular WBA middleweight champion, which is Arislandi Lara. So he is going to be told by the WBA, you have to fight Lara or you're going to be stripped or you have to vacate. So... Uh, if the Gennady wants to keep the belt, like I suspect he does, he doesn't have a mandatory that's due in the other organization just yet. Right. Uh, and, and the WBA one is up. So I guess it's possible that he might fight Arislandi Lara. It's a makeable fight. One thing people should understand. Um, I misspoke last week when I said he still had another fight on his, his own contract after this Canelo fight. 
uh, I heard back the the, uh, the part of what we, what we talked about. I was incorrect when I said that his zone contract is now over. So to the you know according to him and his team, so Gennady is now a free agent promotionally. I mean he's been promoting himself anyway. Uh, worked with Eddie Hearn on this event, so he is free promotionally to go where he wants. He is free in terms of his broadcaster to go where he wants. So if the Lara fight is what he wants to pursue because it's the mandatory, and he doesn't want to give away his belt, then he would probably have a conversation with uh, PBC and Al Heyman to see what he wants to do. Now, I don't know if you can take a Golovkin against a Lara and put that on pay-per-view after that type of performance that he had against uh, uh, Canelo Alvarez, unless you can get him to agree to come for a, you know, a very reasonable purse. Um, so it's going to be remain to be seen if that can be made just from a financial point of view. Now, maybe Showtime, would take the opportunity to show a fighter like Gennady Golovkin who say what you want, but he's still an all-time great. Uh, and, you know, it's still an intriguing fight. I mean, him and Laura at this stage of their careers, I mean, that actually might be a pretty good fight. Or maybe, or maybe uh, Jamal Charlo is sitting out there who has the WBC belt. That might be a pay-per-view, but I don't know how realistic that is. Again, you travel in the world better, so he's got options. He's got options. We'll see what he well, does. So Let me talk about that. Charlo for a second. Yeah. That, I mean, I, I, theoretically, you're, what you said was accurate, but Charlo has been off the radar for over a year and a half. It's been a year and a half now since he's fought, basically. He hasn't mm -hmm. fought since June of 2021. He had a back injury that forced the cancellation of the fight that was supposed to be this June. So he's going to go a year between fights anyway. Um, you know, the back injury, you know, may also have been a bad ticket sales situation or maybe mm -hmm. both because uh, he was going to fight Seleski, which was a fight that nobody, you know, ever cared about to begin with. Um so Charlo, I mean, he's got the name, I guess, but he's really irrelevant. And I don't mean that as a knock on him as a fighter. It's just you can't, he's not going to come off of a year and a half layoff and Agreed. jump into the ring with Triple G, even if it's yeah. a diminished Triple G. So, yeah. you know, if they want to, if he wants to fight Laura and they want to help build that up a little bit, maybe. But, uh, you know, the middleweight division is not massively deep. Now, maybe DeZone wants to keep him around and they offer him a deal and they work with Golden Boy and maybe they make the fight between, uh, you know, maybe he does vacate or, or give up the WBA title and he fights a Jaime Munguia. Remember, there was a few, there was a time a few years ago when Jaime Munguia was so green and wet behind the ears uh, that the Nevada commission, when they tried to make that fight, declined to approve the fight for Gennady to defend against Munguia because they thought it was a death match in favor of mm. uh, Gennady. Today, you know, the way he looked, you know, it might be a bad fight for Gennady against a guy with the kind of volume punching of a Jaime Munguia. Now, maybe they do it. Maybe they, maybe they bring a Lara over. And PBC gives him up for one fight, and they do a two-fight deal with Gennady. He fights Lara, and if he wins, maybe then he fights Munguia. My yep. point is, it's way too early to know exactly what's going to happen. The first domino will fall in the next week or so when he uh, tells the WBA what his plans are. All right, same same kind of question <coughs> here. Best guess on what Canelo would do uh, uh, in this situation with the understanding he's got an injured hand. But we also also uh, have been talking about how he's become a September, May, September fighter. May was probably the next fight anyway, and that is still seven or eight months to let the hand heal up and figure out who you're fighting. What's the best guess on what he does next, which is maybe fight Dimitri Bivol again, if Bivol beats Zerto Ramirez, maybe now defend at 168 against somebody else. Educated guess from you coming off the weekend, Dan Rayfield, please. Well, the doctor was asked about the type of length of layoff that Canelo would require once he undergoes the procedure on his, uh, you know, the hand or slash wrist. And uh, to my recollection, the doctor said it would probably be something in the order of about 10 weeks, something like that. So that's, you know, he, he wasn't going to fight, like you said, probably not fighting until May anyway. Um, 
you know, he talked about how he did go through the four fights in 11 months, which took its toll on him in uh, the previous year uh, when he was extremely active. And it was a great thing. He won the Undisputed Championship. He became the fighter of the year. You know, he had a real historical type of accomplishment. Uh, if he goes back to fighting twice a year, nothing wrong with that either. Um, so he'll lay off most likely till the spring. And like you said, uh, he made the point at the press conference that, he, and, and which was nothing new that he had been saying leading up to the fight, that yes, he still would like to have a rematch against the major people. Uh, you know, I don't know what he gets out of that because I, it's not like suddenly that fight's going to sell way more pay-per-view. Now, maybe it's worth it if he comes with a, a different mindset in terms of what he needs to get paid for that fight. I mean, that's what it's all about. It's not about when we make the fight. It's what is it going to cost us to make the fight? Um, he's not going to make, you know, whatever, you know, $40 million for another B-ball fight. It's just the money's mm -hmm. not there. It doesn't seem to me. Um, but be that as it may, he'll watch what happens in the B-ball versus Zerto Ramirez fight, which take place, takes place in November. And uh, if Bivol is the winner, you know, he said he would like to fight him again. He has made the point that he doesn't care to fight Zerto Ramirez uh, for two reasons. Uh, he claims because he thinks that Zerto hasn't done anything. But if he beats Bivol, that's a big win. That would be a very significant win. But mainly, you know, he, he's not really keen on fighting Mexican countrymen. He has only fought uh, a couple of Mexicans since he's become a star fighter. Years and years ago, he fought uh, uh, Alfredo Angulo when Angulo was sort of near the end and Cano was still on the rise in a, a junior middleweight fight. And other than that, the last time he fought a Mexican opponent was Julio Cesar Chavez. Um, that's several years ago. So, you know, he hasn't looked for the Mexican fighters. Um, and, and there's, it's, he's not the only one like that. You don't, you know, you don't really see like Filipinos don't really like to fight Filipinos. Rarely do you see the Japanese champions fight each other. I mean, they fight maybe other fighters in their country, but when it comes to the bigger fights, that's why it was such a revelation when they made the, uh, the, uh, the Kenshiro Taraji and uh, Kayaguchi unification fight between two Japanese champions at 108 pounds, you know, cause it's very uncommon. Uh, so what he does next, I guess he'll see about Bivol. That's certainly a possibility. Remember Canelo also now has, it's his option. Does he want to, yeah, he could pick up the option and have a third fight put from what he said under this deal he had with Matchroom and uh, DAZN, or he could say, uh, you know, thank you for everything and, and go once again to negotiate or to have a conversation with the PBC people where they could offer him potentially Charlo uh, again, probably not right away. Certainly, David Benavides is a great matchup. Now, he somebody asked him at the press conference. David Benavides is a Mexican American, who's also uh, part, I believe it was uh, Ecuadorian, which is where his mother is from. And the question was posed: uh, Canelo, we know you don't really like to fight Mexican opponents, under you know, which is understandable, I guess. <laughs> Does he count as a Mexican because he's Mexican American and he's half Ecuadorian? So we're like we're parsing. splitting the heritage hairs here. Keep going. Yes. Keep going. The, the bottom line, though, is I think if you if you took a poll of boxing fans and said, which would you be more willing to spend your seventy five or eighty five dollars on on a pay-per-view? Would it be Canelo Alvarez in a rematch of, with Dimitri Bivol, which was an OK fight, but it wasn't like anything earth shattering or against David Benavides in a defense of the super middleweight title? Remember, Benavides has uh, the interim title. So technically the WBC at any time can order that as a mandatory. Uh, I don't think they will, they're not going to cause Canelo problems like that. It's not necessary. But the point is, I think most boxing fans, if they said Canelo Bivol 2 or Canelo Benavides, it'd probably be, you know, unanimous and say, let's see the Benavides fight. Cause it just shapes up as a great action fight. Benavides will talk up, you know, the fight. He's a, he's got a, a great personality and, and Bivol is a nice guy and everything, but he doesn't bring a lot to the table in All terms right. of the promotional end of the fight. Uh, so, you know, it, Canelo has going to have, I mean, he's going to have options. So he's still uh, one of the best pound for pound fighters in the world. He's still undisputed in his weight class. He's still the biggest star we have uh, in the sport. So 
he's not going to be lacking for uh, people that are going to want to fight him. It's just going to be a matter of how the business is part of it's going to work, the purses and all of that. Uh, um, one thing I'm pretty sure about, deal with TJ, we're not going to see Canelo Golovkin for. Yeah, we're not going to see that. And can I just go a step further? I mean, we sure. did draw the parallel of Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran fighting for a third time. And Leonard was the better fighter that night, but he wasn't spectacular. And Duran was really never at the highest level anymore after that fight. You kind of, you kind of see a parallel some 30-plus years later here that Canelo is still going to be, because he's younger, probably at the higher level for another couple of fights like Ray Leonard was. I just I don't know about Golovkin anymore at 40. We'll see. It's just an interesting parallel. That's all I'm pointing out. We don't have to go on from the 10 minutes. No, I'm just pointing. I'll just out. say about this. I always look at the trajectory of star fighters. I study like the times that they're from their peak to when they may fade uh, the rise. And you don't realize that you're in the middle of it sometimes until it's over, if that makes sense. Yep. So for the last year and a half, you know, during the pandemic and, and right before that, we have been in Canelo's prime. And I'm not by any means saying his prime is over, but when you lose to Bivol and you win, but you don't look by any stretch of imagination at your best against Golovkin, in my opinion, again, he's still a great fighter. He's still a pound for pound worthy guy. But if you were making it like a, a line graph, let's say, he's starting to go maybe towards the other side of the mountain in a way. Again, still with time left and still with some big fights and some, you know, big time money to be made and some interesting matchups. But when you pull back the lens and look at his career a few years from now, and you sort of try to pinpoint when was the, like the beginning of whatever decline there was going to be ever so slight. I think we're going to look at these last two fights between Bevel and Golovkin and say, that may have been where that decline started. You know, I've taken, I spent a lot of time studying like Pacquiao's career and I covered all of those fights. And, you know, he had such a great run from when he went from, uh, 126 to 154 really you know he won the title at 154 but didn't weigh that much and you look and when was like the apex of the Pacquiao career he totally dominated and destroyed Antonio Margarito in a fight that should have been stopped but it went the distance because of a very very dangerous referee that let this man take an absolute beating that cost him an eye basically and even though Pacquiao won that fight against Antonio Margarito in a, in a walk basically he took a lot of punishment also. And I look at Pacquiao's career and I always think to myself as dominating a victory as he had that night. And he still went on to have other big wins. That was when he started to start to go over the mountain was the Margarito fight. And again, with Canelo, he got a big win against Golovkin last night, but I think that's sort of the start of where he's going over the mountain. I mean, I don't, I don't say that uh, to, to knock him or to, I'm just giving you my honest opinion of where I think these guys are. Golovkin, that, that part of the mountain going over to the other side of the mountain started a few fights ago, yeah, probably the Devonchenko fight. If you want to know the truth, because he, sure. he, I thought he lost the Devonchenko fight on my scorecard. I was ringside, I wasn't the only one, and he took a beating in that fight, even though he won and he get knocked down or get you know badly hurt. But he took a lot of a lot of punishment in that fight. And again, he's a forty year old man who's been doing this for you know most of his life in terms of you know getting hit. So All right. uh, this is going to be that fight where you look back and say these two greats fought. It, it was not Leonard Duran three, thank God, but it it. Uh, you know, they were near the end, but Canelo is not there yet. Golovkin's edging towards that. You and I are... Did that all make sense to you about the yes, over the mountain? Yes, it's all good. I was about to say, you and I are on the verge of getting punchy because we're both 
tired. We're both jet lagged. Let's get to the. I, mean, I and just the hope I explain fine. that. The comments are fine. Okay. Yes, you were good on all that. I'm your I'm your uh, fallback here to to let you know that things are good. So let's sure. get to the rest of the undercard and your thoughts. It did take the route for Bam Rodriguez to win and defend, uh, and there was some thought that Israel uh, Gonzalez maybe. I mean, the, the, the zone commentators were saying this could be. <laughs> A very close decision. If not, maybe Gonzalez pulls the upset as the fight got into the later rounds. He was very competitive. Uh, and then Ali Akhmadov also won on the undercard. What were your thoughts overall, starting with Bam, Akhmadov, the undercard? What were your thoughts real quick on the recap? Well, in terms of uh, Jesse Rodriguez, I mean, it sort of felt there in the middle rounds like maybe an upset was brewing. But he got control of the fight back uh you know, in that, in that later part, in that early part of the second half of the fight, he got, he sort of took the control back. And that was, uh, you know, part of it was because he had gotten a point deducted for a low blow. And so that impacted the scorecard. And look, Israel Gonzalez, as we talked about in the lead up, he had uh, other title fights. This was his fourth chance at a world title. In his other fights, he, he went the distance in uh, two of them. He got stopped by uh, Jerwin and Casas. Uh, I thought that Jesse would stop him. I feel he's a much better fighter than Jerwin and Casas is. Uh, certainly a more powerful fighter, a fresher fighter. Uh, but again, sometimes you don't have your perfect night. Jesse still, you know, he put on a good performance. He gutted it out. It was a tough fight for him. It, did, it was not the worst thing to be uh, taken back to earth a little bit because he had so much success and did so so fairly easily against the bigger, better known names, guys like Quadras. We won the title against early in the year, plus the big knockout victory against uh, Sirsik at Sarangisai, you know, a two-time champion who's, you know, been uh, one of the top fighters in those uh, weight classes in and around 115 for the last number of years. Um, and so for a guy like Israel Gonzalez, who's much younger, uh, although not highly as acclaimed as those two guys for, you know, Israel Gonzalez has to get some credit because he came to fight. He was in good shape. I told you when I ran into him and his, you know, his manager uh, prior to the, you know, to the fight when I got there on Wednesday and they were very confident and thought they would be able to do what they could do. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it was, it's a good solid building block victory for Jesse Rodriguez, who now has three wins this year and, you know, two against big names mm -hmm. in that weight class, one against, a, you know, a solid contender type, it wasn't maybe the showcase to like really shine the way that I think that he and his team expected, but getting that type of fight under your belt at that young age with so few pro fights, it's just, yes, it's not a bad thing. Uh, it, it's not going to, uh, I think it, it'll help him get better in, in, in the long run. It's still not for sure. If he'll be back on that December 3rd card where Eddie Hearn had talked about wanting him to, if everything went well on uh, on the fight Saturday, we haven't heard about any Jesse Rodriguez, if there was any injuries or anything along those lines. But if everything is okay, I assume they'll still want to keep to the plan of having him participate in the co-feature when uh, Chocolatito Gonzalez and, and Juan Francisco Estrada have their, their, their third fight with the idea that the third fight will be the main event and hopefully they'll put another great battle and that uh, Rodriguez will perform in the co-feature. And then if he wins, he would fight the winner of the main. Now, there's a the winner of the main event. There's a little wrinkle in that, though. Jesse Rodriguez and Roman Gonzalez are both also involved with Tekken Boxing, uh, Tekken Promotions from Japan, Mr. Honda. And Mr. Honda, uh, from what I am told, does not want Roman Gonzalez and Jesse Rodriguez to fight each other. He doesn't want to put his two guys in with each other. Why not uh, at this stage? Why not? Gonzalez, well, I think part of it. Chocolatito is clearly towards the end here. Why would you not have that fight? Just out of because curiosity. Mr. Honda, Mr. Honda, to, Mr. Honda views Chocolatito as like a son to him and doesn't want to do that to him. He knows it's a bad fight for him is the bottom line. Interesting. Um, but the but, you know, listen, if Estrada wins, that's a possibility. And maybe, you know, maybe Mr. Honda will come around and somebody says this is the, you know, they talk him into it, or maybe Roman Gonzalez goes to him and says, Listen, uh, this is the fight I want. I mean, I'm not saying it won't happen. It's just that the that There's if you talk hesitancy. to the folks, 
there's, there's hesitancy. hesitancy. He doesn't, he doesn't want to make that fight. And that's his prerogative. Mr. Honda has been accredited to this sport for decades. He's one of the most revered people in the entire history of boxing in terms of, uh, you know, being an honest broker and, uh, and, a, and a person you, listen, as, I'm not to get on a tangent, but when you cover boxing for any length of time, at some point or another, you're going to hear somebody mother somebody, right. And they're going to just, they're going to get all over. That's just, it's just the way boxing is. I mean, Mr. Honda, I've never heard, I've never heard anybody say, not, not forget about anybody saying anything bad about Mr. Honda. People don't, people only thing they say is great things about Mr. Honda, about a wonderful human being he is, how fair he is, how honest he is, how when you go and you participate on an event that his company puts on, how you get treated like royalty. The number of people that have gone to Japan that I know, either as boxers, managers, other promoters, people in this business, broadcasters, whatever, they are treated like family. They are treated like first class all the way. That is what he has done for decades and decades and decades. He's done business with everybody. I mean, so if Mr. Honda says something, gotcha. you listen. All right, good enough. Uh, again, I made off wins. You were also impressed okay. with Diego Pacheco. What else? And Mark Castro. You were you you were there for the whole undercard. Other so final if you thoughts? want, I'll, I'll run down. I'll run down a little bit. So the Akhmedov fight was absolutely ex exactly how I expected, how I predicted, how I think most people thought it would go. Gabe Rosado uh, is a tough guy. He comes to fight, but he doesn't have the. Uh, he's never had that top level skill, number one, and he's now older. He's taken a lot of beatings. He's been in a lot of tough fights. He's a, uh, a guy that will will go distance with guys and maybe he'll pull an upset once in a while. But against Akhmedov, who was a, a much younger fighter, a much more skillful fighter, a much bigger puncher. You know, it was just a bad fight in the outset. And Gabriel Rosado got shut out. Uh, the judges did get that one right. It was all the three judges had it, you know, 10 nothing across the board, 100 to 90. Uh I would like to see, you know, Gabe Rosado has been a great, you know, great competitor. He's been a, an honest fighter. He comes to fight. He, he leaves it in the ring. He's bled for this sport as much as anybody. He's got those, you know, the, most of those knockout losses that he suffered have been come from uh, the terrible cuts he has uh, taken over the years, including when he fought for the world title at middleweight against Gennady Golovkin a number of years ago. I mean, I'm not sure what's left for, for Gabe Rosado. He's, he's a nice guy, and he's, uh, he's, he's a, 16, an interesting guy. 16 losses now, and you were talking about this in the buildup here, and he's yeah. lost something like seven or eight fights in the last four years. So This was his third loss in a row, and I mean, it's just, yeah. again, I'm not one to tell him he should retire, but it becomes a point of diminishing returns in terms of what you can earn. Uh, you know, so I think Gabe should uh, keep collecting those residual checks from the Creed movie that he was in. And, uh, you know, he's got, some, I, I've talked to Gabe about other things. He's involved with other businesses. It's not like he only has to box to make money. Um, you might want to consider calling it a day. I mean, nobody wants to see this guy get hurt. I mean, he's had a rough career already. And Akhmedov, you know, is a good win. He's on the comeback trail after he had the upset loss. And, you know, I'm not sure how far he's going to go, but uh, he's got another good building block. He's a triple G promoted fighter. Uh, and uh, they still have high hopes for him. And, uh, you know, he's a good addition. He gives what I consider uh, an element of depth to the 168-pound division. He's not ready for a Kendall Alvarez or anything like that yet, but he's still uh, one of the better younger, uh, or I shouldn't say younger because he's not like a baby. He's at a big amateur group. In terms of the uh, professional experience, he's still on the rise. So that was, a, you know, an expected win the way he did it. Um, really not that great of a fight at all. Prior to that, you had Diego Pacheco, who was the, I take that back, it was uh, Austin Emma Williams on the card, a middleweight, mm -hmm. uh, who is now 12-0, uh, and 0, and he put on a, ter a terrific performance. He fought Kieran Conway. I ran into Austin in the in the uh, lob in the uh, by the elevators after the fight when I was coming back to my room, and I sat, I sat with him and his trainer for 
or one of the not his trainer, but one of his assistants for you know about 20 minutes, and we just, we just talked about the fight and his career, and he's excited. He thinks he'll be back uh, on December 3rd on that Chocolatito Estrada uh, card that will uh, take place probably in San Antonio. He's from Houston. He wants to fight there. Um, Eddie uh, probably will put him on that show, and he's a good young up and coming fighter. He you know he did a good job against Kieran Conway. It was not a bad fight. Um, he knocked him down in the first round with a really good uppercut, bloodied him up, and uh, and really took him to school. And I asked him, I said, you know, did you get anything out of that fight? Because I felt, I told him this, I said, I felt that looking at your record and having watched your professional career develop, that Kieran Conway was your best opponent. And he said, you know what, he described a few things that he saw that were a little different, that he that he, that he felt like were good looks for him, that he felt like he was going to learn something from, and that he it, it, it's going to make him better. And he agreed with me that he needs like probably at least you know, two, three, four more of those types of fights. And then it's on to bigger and better things. And uh, he's a guy to keep an eye on. He's got a good personality. He had some problems. You know, he was one of these fighters, like some others that have come out recently, spoke about his issues with uh, with uh, dealing with mental health issues. Uh, but he seems on the straight uh, path now and everything seems to be going in, a, in the right direction. Uh, and I wish him good luck. He's a nice guy and he's, he's, a, he's, he's a good fighter. And uh, I think he's, you know, he's got a future. In terms of Diego Pacheco, a super middleweight, uh, a kid from Los Angeles who I had seen a little bit during the week uh, for whatever reason, we kept being in the same elevator at the same time together, me and his team. Um, he fought uh, Enrique Calazo, who was uh, his first like really experienced opponent, a guy that had been an Olympian for Puerto Rico a number of years ago. And uh, they were, he was fighting for, now you and I, and most fans don't really care about these regional titles, but for the fighters are an important stepping stone. They, you know, it gives them something to, to strive for. It helps them obviously get ranked by those organizations when you fight for those belts that we have talked as we have talked about. So this was a, a step up fight for him, and uh, he shined. I mean, it wasn't a great fight. It was rather boring actually for the first four rounds. But when he put the hammer down and scored that knockout, that was a very impressive the way he finished Colazo. So Diego Pacheco gets a gold star for the finish and maybe a silver star for the rest of the performance. Um, and he, that kid's going places. He's now sixteen and zero. He's, he's a baby. He's like 21 years old. Uh, he's, he's got, I saw him like when he came in a lot, I, when I, again, when I came in after I was coming back from the arena, I, I ran into him and his team. He was in the lobby of the MGM right by the big ring there. And a lot of fans had recognized him. He was holding the uh, belt that he had won and everybody was taking pictures of him. So, you know, he was very excited about that. He's a young kid. And uh, that's a great experience to fight on that level of a card to win like that, get that belt, even if it's not a world championship and come back and find all these fans who are interested in you and, and taking a picture with you. Uh, you know, you can't be that. By the way, Austin Williams, when I ran into him, he was holding the belt that he won. He won a regional belt also. <laughs> and he had it around his shoulder. And, you know, guys were, guys and gals were. What you're telling were me is focused. you were the only person without a regional belt in the lobby of the MGM late season. I just had the belt on my, on my, on my pants. But yeah, but uh, <laughs> no, but these, these are because they're at that level where yeah. these younger fighters are now into these, they, they've now gone past the eight round type of, fights and now they're moving into these 10 rounders and they're they're getting them ranked matchroom is doing their job by moving them up the rankings in these organizations part of that as we have talked about is to fight for these regional belts not huge sanction fees but it helps them get ranked it puts them on a pathway towards a particular organizational's uh world title at some point down the road and so but these are these are we talk about them now these are the guys that, at least in the matchroom universe these are the future players at least in their american outfit it's diego pacheco it's austin williams obviously jesse Rodriguez is the present champion and it's uh mark casher who i'll talk say about in a minute. Well, I right, so say something about him while we're here you were impressed so, with him too now all the fights were on i mean they weren't all in the pay-per-view because many of these fights were part of what they call the before the bell like the preliminaries you could just watch for free mark casher was a lightweight who was a fantastic like 17 time amateur national champion from fresno undefeated uh he, canelo and him uh, he has been around canelo's camp uh, 
he he was there via his uh, I guess his uh, uh, he had, was brought in uh, I think he was friendly with Ryan Garcia at one point when Ryan was training with Eddie Reynoso. But Canelo liked him. Uh, he's got a fun style, nice kid, and he's been on now. I think this was like the fifth because Canelo was so busy. It was like the fourth or fifth Canelo undercard he's been on. So the joke is like you know every time your your whole career is not going to be spent on Canelo cards because he's going to slow down his schedule obviously. But Mark was on the before the bell part of this card against a, a tough guy, a guy that was like seven and one with a couple of draws, tough dude. And, and I thought, and, and I, I say this in terms of the entire card, not just the pay-per-view and the undercard fights, but all eight bouts on the card. I thought Mark Cash had the single most impressive performance on the show. He took a guy that was a step up in opponent in my estimation. And he absolutely destroyed the guy. He looked outstanding in every which way. And the thing I noticed, I actually, I asked uh, another boxing person who was a, a, uh, works for another company, but was in attendance at the fight who knows boxing very well. I'm not going to name the person because mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to like give that up, but somebody who's a ping and I have deep respect for. And he agreed with me when he said, when I said the following, because we were talking about it afterwards, Mark Castro on this card showed to me, this was like the turning point. Cause I've watched all of his professional fights. I felt like what I saw in Mark Castro on Saturday night was him going from being an amateur fighter to becoming a professional fighter. The awkwardness and the wild swinging was gone. He was much more settled. He was much more poised. He was much more calm. He did a much better job of picking his shots and uh, and not getting so uh, excited when he landed that he wanted to just go crazy with punches. He really took his time. He was. It, I felt like he was thinking about every punch he was going to throw. And in the end, the result was a spectacular performance and a very impressive knockout against, again, not a world championship level fighter, but a good, solid guy for his level uh so he's turning that corner he's becoming more professional and i think the kid has got a he's got a good chance to become a player in the lightweight division over the next few years you have given us a ton we're at the end here we're putting a bow on all of it you've gotten back from vegas we've dissected the entire card give us a final thought here coming off the weekend i know uh we're anxious to get back into the groove later this week Shakur uh, Stevenson defending in Newark we'll do that but just give me a final bow and we'll wrap it up here off the Canelo win and the whole card just another good big fight weekend in Las Vegas it's unfortunate that the main event did not live up to the high expectations that so many of us had for it but I'm glad that it happened the card overall was a was a pretty good card uh the the Jesse Rodriguez uh, Israel Gonzalez fight in terms of the overall fight was probably the best fight of the night a lot of good action in that fight. And, uh, you know, good luck to Gennady Golovkin when he comes back as a middleweight champion and to see what he's going to do uh, in the rest of his career. Hopefully Canelo will have his hand taken care of and we'll see him back uh, in May against a good quality opponent. But I, I will tell you, I'll leave you with this uh, one anecdote. Uh, I'm leaving the hotel uh, from the MGM to go to the airport uh, this morning or this afternoon, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, I get in the cab and uh, the cab driver at the MGM who picked me up recognized me. He's a big boxer. He was a big, just, it was just a coincidence. He's a huge boxing man. He's like, oh, he goes, you're that boxing writer. He goes, what's your name? I said, my name is Dan. He goes, Dan, you're Dan, Dan Rayfield, right? I was like, yeah, that's me. He goes, man, he goes, me, I've been reading you for years. My son reads you. Uh, anyway, so he, I, he said, he said to me, he said, oh, you were probably here for the Canelo fight, right? I said, yeah, I was here for the Canelo fight. You know, he's, he says, you know what? He goes, if you don't mind, I don't want to ask you about the Canelo fight. Is okay if I ask about something else in boxing? I'm like, yeah, of course. What's up? I love when I love talking boxing. I'd rather talk boxing in the in the car than about some other nonsense. All he wanted to talk about was the process of Errol Spence and and Terrence Crawford. And so I thought to myself, and I tweeted this when I was at the airport. When you hear the cabbies talking about a fight, Mm -hmm. you know it's a big deal. And so we are now past Canelo Golovkin three. 
And I don't know this for sure, but I have to believe if the target date and everybody was talking about it as though it's a done deal, even though it's not, uh, or at least nobody knew for sure if it's done, that November 19th is the target date for this fight. Well, guess what? As we tape this, as the yep. clock is about to strike midnight on Saturday yep. night going into Sunday, it will be September 18th in the next couple of minutes as we record this, which means the fight's in two months. That's usually when they start their training camps to, to a serious degree, which means if they're actually going to do a fight on November 19th and this fight's going to happen this year, the fight has to probably, not definitely, but if they want to really do what they can do with this event, the fight's going to have to be announced this coming week. So, and by the way, you mentioned about the Shakur Stevenson fight on, on Friday night. There's nothing else going on in the boxing right now. This is a very slow week. Shakur is basically the only game in town. It's not that big of a fight, all things considered. Uh, I guess I'd have to say, if you're a betting person, I mean, do we do well lines on the Bet US show on announcing the fight? I don't think we do. But What's the line on I the think, announcement? I'm yeah, my, my detective work. Good detective work. It's not, I a, think, it's not yeah. detective. It's just, it's just uh, the feel of how these things happen mm -hmm. and, and having covered lots of these big events that it just feels like the, the, the way that this is going to unfold and based on the history and the fact that the fight was so close that I feel, I don't know if I'll be right, that it should be announced as coming. Listen to this, boxing fans. Here's a great way to put it, and this is the man that would know. Have you gotten any indication from anywhere that it's not going to happen in November? This is the nope. most encouraging thing. There's the quick answer. If there was some indication that it was not going to happen, this man would know. So Listen, you have people. no indication. Yes. I talked to uh, a Nevada uh, commission person mm -hmm. thinks the fight's happening. I talked to people that were involved behind the scenes of the event for Canelo and Triple G in terms of like whether it's credentials, the MGM uh, proper, you know, they own the MGM and they're involved with the T-Mobile. Uh, you talk to other promoters who are looking to make sure that they don't schedule a fight on the 19th because mm -hmm. they hear that that's the case. So uh, you, they look at this, try to stay away from that fight to maybe schedule something on the 12th. Obviously they're not going to go on the week after because that's Thanksgiving. The point is everybody within the industry that's not even necessarily involved with that fight is all girding for the probability that that fight's going to take place on the 19th. And nobody wants to get in its way because they know it's a big event. And, and like I said, when the cabbies in Vegas are talking about a fight that's not even made yet, you know, it's a big deal. So my great hope is as we go into a slow week coming off of this mega fight with Canelo and triple G with a clear window, and no, you know, there's other fights coming up and Deontay Wilder is coming back and, you know, maybe there'll be a Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua fight later in the, you know, later on or, you know, next year, whenever they're going to do it. Hopefully it's at the end of this year. But the point is for the next little bit, you know, Crawford and Errol Spence will have all that fan Twitter media oxygen to themselves to pump up the possible, you know, to pump up their fight and to get an announcement done, get people excited about it, do a press conference or two, and then let those guys get in their training camps and get themselves in the best shape possible and give us a great fight. And I'll tell you what, as I was leaving press row last night, you know, any number of, uh, of my ringside colleagues who I'm friendly with, you know, we were joking around like, see you in November. I mean, everybody is anticipating and expecting that we're going to be right back there at the T-Mobile arena uh, for the undisputed welterweight championship fight between Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford. And, Obviously, I hope that we're all right and that that uh, intuition that if you're going to announce a fight for that date this week coming up is when it's going to happen. Great way to end it here on the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast. You are officially off the clock. You can go to bed. I'm going to Thank do the you, same sir. thing. Everybody uh, have a great week this week. Keep reading the site, bigfightweekend.com. Read Dad's Substack Fight Freaks Unite. Great recap coverage all weekend. Glad you got back safe. I did the same from New Orleans. Let's regroup. 
We're ready for another week. Shakur Stevenson fights and defends his WBO title coming later in a week. Uh, and we'll we'll regroup and be ready for that. Thank you, my friend. You bet, my man. And a good week for our team. Bucks won and the Giants won. Yes, the Giants in first place. The Bucks in first place. Football world is good. Boxing world is good. Mrs. Rayfield's happy. You're back. Mrs. Reeves is happy. I'm back. So onward we march here with this. Dan, thank you. And we thank you for finding us. However you did so here on the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed for Fight Freaks Unite. Make sure you're following or subscribing. We're good with the Canelo victory over Triple G. Thank you for being with us on Fight Freaks Unite.